Hi, my name is Ankshman Chaudhary and you are listening to the Barbed Wire podcast. Warning: This episode contains descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. This is the first episode of the Barbed Wire podcast, which is basically a sort of radio version of my Substack newsletter come blog. So I've always thought of podcasts as like a modern version of the radio. And I think my generation in India, which is the early 90s millennial bunch, was the last one to have been exposed to radio programs. And I'm talking about the AM, not FM radio. And I still remember my father's AM radio set, which was quite popular in Assam back then and which my dad was very fond of. So if you grew up in a more quote and quote developed and connected part of India in the early 1990s, then i would like to hear more about your experience with am radios so send me an email or comment on this podcast or leave a comment on substack to tell me all about it the reason i decided to attach a podcast to my substack newsletter is that uh, i personally really like the podcast format i like to listen to podcasts when i'm driving working out cooking or just sitting listlessly doing nothing i really like the format just to be clear but i've realized that simply listening to someone talk about something that interests me uh, gives me great joy and at some level i think you'll also agree it's calming and therapeutic i hope it works for you too but if it doesn't please feel free to stick to my text posts on substack in the first episode i'm going to talk about two countries that have held my interest for some time now myanmar and china If you follow my Substack newsletter closely, you must have already realized that I have a special interest in Myanmar. I also write a lot about India's policy towards Myanmar. But there's no way anyone can talk about Myanmar or South Asian or Southeast Asian or global politics today without talking about China. In fact, China is one country that Indian policymakers and foreign policy folks remain very much interested in, and there's no reason for them not to be. Under Xi Jinping, China's just you know it it isn't just way more prickly about its disputed border with india uh, but also tremendously more assertive and confident about its position in the world than ever before i would argue even mao's china didn't have that kind of conviction about itself that she's china has and a lot of that has got to do with the economic consolidation and development that took place in china in the 1990s and 2000s But when it comes to Myanmar I feel India's mainstream foreign policy community talks about China to the point of almost paranoid obsession. Every discussion on what India should do in Myanmar somehow always circles back to China. And obviously look India can't ignore the Chinese presence in Myanmar but to balance it it needs to do things differently is what I feel. Recently the Diplomat magazine interviewed me on this exact issue. So if you want to know more about my views on India's Myanmar policy and what it should do You could go and check that out on the diplomat.com or check out my latest update post on Bardwise where I've given the link. What I want to talk about in this episode is specifically how China is dealing with Myanmar. And I why I want to do this is because I I feel there's a lot of misconception or uh, there's a tendency to be to be reductive when it comes to understanding the Chinese policy on Myanmar. And the other reason why I want to talk about it is because a lot of it has to do with China's conflict mediation agenda. which is something that we have heard a lot about in the past few weeks since the Saudi Arabia Iran peace deal was announced on the 10th of March obviously the Beijing broker deal agreement pact detente rapprochement whatever you want to call it between these two bitter west asian rivals 
came as a very big surprise to most people, especially Western observers who never thought that the Chinese could pull off anything like this. For example, Michael Kugelman called it a black swan event, which is basically an event that comes as a complete surprise and changes the course of world history, something like that. Um, and of course, editorials in Chinese state-controlled publications like Global Times talked about what a historic movement this was and how China had absolutely no ulterior motives behind brokering this deal and really, you know, just really altruistically wanted world peace. Pretty basic and innocent, right? And b- believe it or not, some folks are even asking if a China-brokered India-Pakistan deal is possible in the future. But all that aside, we don't yet know what this peace deal under double quotes, very big double quotes, will sustain or what it even means in practical terms. But yes, the Saudis and Iranians shaking hands with each other, that too with a top Chinese official standing in between them is a pretty big deal in itself. And yeah, China is riding the moral high horse horse for good reasons now, I would say. It managed to do what the Americans and Europeans had been trying to do since forever, which is broker peace in the so-called Middle East while pouring billions of dollars into the Israeli and Saudi defense industries, of course. But way before this deal was announced, the Chinese were already doing conflict mediation and brokering peace, all under big quotation marks, closer home, in Myanmar. They were getting folks who would otherwise never talk to each other to do precisely that, which is talk to each other. But the reason why China's conflict mediation in Myanmar is important for us is because it holds some bigger learnings on why China wants to broker peace and who benefits from that peace. And flowing from that, it holds learnings on why we should be careful of buying into any Chinese-mediated peace agreement or rapprochement. So let me tell you a little story. This is March 2017, right? The Aung San Suu Kyi government in Myanmar was getting ready to host the second edition of its flagship annual peace conference, which had a very fancy and historically evocative name, the 21st century Panglong. The main objective of the conference was to bring the union government, the military and various ethnic armed organizations or EAOs who had signed the nationwide ceasefire accord in 2015, the NCA, under the same roof for two to three days to talk to each other, right? At that time, the rule was that only the eight ethnic armed organizations or EAOs that had signed the ceasefire agreement known as NCA could attend the conference. But the Suu Kyi government, with the military's consent of course, also invited nine other powerful EAOs that hadn't signed the ceasefire. These EAOs, which were mostly based in northern Myanmar, were invited as quote-unquote special guests, kind of like observers. Many of them actually saw this as an insult and initially refused to attend. Except, in a surprise move, one day before the conference began, representatives from these northern non-ceasefire EAOs arrived in the national capital of Nepitaw to join the conference. The Suu Kyi government, of course, couldn't be happier. It was able to show to the world, especially its Western donors, that the peace process was so effective that even the hardest and the most defiant rebels were buying into it. But here's the catch. These powerful rebel leaders, who had doggedly rejected all ceasefire offers so far, flew down to the Burmese national capital not from their own hometowns in the north, but from Kunming in southeastern China's Yunnan province, in a, wait for this, Chinese chartered plane. And accompanying them was a guy called Sun Guoxiang, who was then China's special envoy for Asian affairs. 
The same thing happened in the third 21st century Banglong Conference in 2018. Everyone knew why these northern rebel groups, which were literally at war with the Myanmar military, were attending a peace conference in Epidaw. China had asked them to. nothing really came out of this to be clear grand peace forums those northern groups never really signed the nca or disarmed themselves instead they rejected the whole peace process and formed their own coalition which was known as the it has a very long and mouthy name federal political negotiations consultative council or fpncc in fact after the february 2021 coup d'etat many of them have doubled down on fighting the military but one thing became crystal clear The most influential mediator in Myanmar's peace process was not a Suu Kyi government bureaucrat, a Burmese army general, a Japanese philanthropist, or a Western diplomat. It was China. In 2019, the United Wah State Army, one of the largest and most well-armed groups, not just in Myanmar but the entire world, hosted its annual military parade in the Wah State capital of Pangsan. And here's an interesting bit about that extravagant event. Neither Suu Kyi nor Minong Line, the commander-in-chief of the Myanmar military, attended it. But one person did. You guessed it. Sun Go Xiang. Cut to December 2021. 10 months after the Myanmar military led by Minong Line attempted to snatch power from the elected civilian government in a coup d'etat. The new military junta, which calls itself the State Administration Council or SAC, sends one of its generals to the north to talk to the FPNCC and convince them to sign the NCA. It had already done so twice since the coup. But there was something different about this time. A Chinese official sat in on the meeting. According to reporting by the Irrawaddy, the whole thing was organized in line with quote-unquote China's reconciliation policy. Not like that led to any peace or anything, but exactly one year later, a special guest from Beijing arrived in Naypyidaw to meet Mironglai. His name was Deng Xiaojun, and he is the successor of Sun Gyo-shang, the Chinese special envoy. But before he met Mironglai, Xiaojun had another meeting up north in a city called Mongla, which is located within an autonomous region in Shan State. According to media reports, he quietly met seven EAOs, which are part of the FPNCC. same group that attended the 21st century Panglong conference under Chinese pressure. Xi Jinping did it again 2 months later in February 2023. Then again 1 month later in March. Unlike the December and February meetings, the last one which was held around the third week of March was held in Kunming. 2 days before the meeting, all the FPNCC rebel groups had their own internal meeting in Pangsan, which is the capital of Wah State in northern Myanmar. The statement that the FPNCC released after the meeting was interesting. Part of it went like this. We welcome and support China's involvement to end the domestic conflicts in Myanmar. We will continue working together with the Chinese government to improve the stability of the border areas. Unquote. Remember this is the same group some of his members like the Kachin Independence Army and the Tang National Liberation Army are actively fighting the military junta. Even the military junta thanked China for its support in the quote unquote maintenance of peace and stability along the border. For those watching closely, it's clear what the Chinese are up to in post-coup Myanmar. They want to broker peace between these northern rebel groups and the military regime. 
it's remarkable really how times have changed Myanmar has relapsed into military rule fighting has escalated the economy has fallen into ruin but one thing has remained the same China as a mediator And by now you might be thinking what's really wrong with all of this what's wrong with China brokering peace in Myanmar I mean after all it's good intentions right um it, and it might end the 60 year old civil war but here's the thing Beijing wants the northern rebel groups in Myanmar to stop fighting the military because it wants to secure its own border with Myanmar and why does it want that so that it can resume work on its connectivity projects most of which are now part of the belt and road initiative including what is known as the China Myanmar economic corridor or CMEC which is like a Myanmar equivalent of the more popular and better known China Pakistan economic corridor or CPEC so this also benefits the Burmese military regime which is at war with these northern groups if these powerful ethnic armed groups in the north stop fighting the junta gets a breather and also benefits from chinese investments so long story short only two parties stand to gain the most from a china brokered peace deal in myanmar one the military junta and two china itself and who loses the revolution the millions of people across burma who are putting themselves and the families in the line of fire to defeat the military and build a democratic country in an article published on 21st of march the iravadi noted that that following deng shijung's meeting with the northern groups the junta redeployed some of its battalions based near the myanmar china border to resistance strongholds in central and southeastern myanmar where they have launched massive offensive operations and perpetrated horrific mass atrocities on non-combatant civilians China appears to have assured Myanmar's lines military regime that the northern groups would not launch any fresh attacks for a while. This has allowed the regime to now focus on other regions that are currently dominated by anti-junta militias known as People's Defence Forces. So the net result has been a sudden spike in military offensives against pro-democracy groups and unarmed civilians in parts of Kaya state, Shan state, Sagaing region and Magwe region. In the second week of March The Kareni Nationalities Democratic Force or KNDF which is a coalition of Kareni armed groups fighting the junta revealed that the military had massacred two dozen civilians in southern Shan state's Pinlong township. In all 29 bodies were recovered including those of three Buddhist monks. The junta tried to blame the horrific massacre as expectedly on the PDFs. But the democratic resistance has claimed with confidence that they were tortured and killed by the military. They made the claim based on forensic analysis of the bodies and the 5.56 mm bullet shells found near them which had the military ammo manufacturer's marks on them. Just a week earlier, UNTA forces had murdered 17 people in Sagaing region's Minmu township including five resistance fighters whose bodies they dismembered. One of them called Kyozo was found disemboweled with his head, hands and legs cut off. Writing in the Iravadi Tetharmong blamed Deng Shijong's shrewd conflict mediation for this massacre among others. He wrote without really mincing any words, quote, "The junta's recent operations and its massacre of civilians are the outcome of an agreement between Deng and the regime. The Myanmar military has gained an advantage and has been able to launch large-scale operations in at least 3 places. But for the Myanmar people that agreement has only induced more misery as they suffer the junta's atrocities." Unquote. So think about it. What good is peace that brings more violence? 
Jason Tower, who directs research on Burma at the United States Institute of Peace and is also a close China watcher, described the damaging effects of Beijing's conflict mediation in Myanmar quite perfectly in a recent interview with human rights activist Igor Blazvich, published in the Rawadi. Tower says, quote, China is going to try and manufacture dialogues with a very narrow set of stakeholders, which is something that ultimately will be beneficial for the very immediate interests of some EAOs, but also also beneficial to the junta in terms of its strategy of dividing the resistance actors." So to be clear, we don't yet know if all the FPNCC members in the North will listen to China, because some of them, like the Kachin Independence Army, Tamil National Independence Army, the Myanmar National Democratic Alliance Army, have been fighting the military junta with all the firepower that they have. The KIA has even been training other anti-junta militias like the PDFs and also fighting with them uh, on the ground. So I'd be surprised if they suddenly pull back because Beijing asked them to. But there's likely to be a temporary lull on the northern battlefront at the cost of more intense clashes and more certainly a rise in mass atrocity crimes by Minong Lines military in the central, northwestern and southeastern regions. And here's the thing. This isn't the only example of China playing its self-centered game of conflict mediation in Myanmar. In early 2017, three months after extreme violence gripped Myanmar's northern Rakhine state resulting in the exodus of more than 800,000 Rohingya to Bangladesh, Wang Yi, who was then the Chinese foreign minister, jetted down to Dhaka and Nepido in a single tour. He carried with him a simple proposal to mediate a bilateral agreement between Bangladesh and Myanmar for the repatriation of the Rohingya refugees. Weeks later, on 23rd November, Dhaka and Nepido signed a formal repatriation agreement. They agreed to begin the repatriation process within two months. That obviously didn't happen. But China didn't give up. Dhaka and Nepido signed another deal one year later in October 2018, which is brokered behind closed doors by Beijing. According to a Reuters report, China was quote-unquote happy about it. Except that even that deal failed. Six months later, the Chinese Communist Party or CCP signed an MOU with the Awami League in Bangladesh, which also included the point on repatriation. That also amounted to zilch. In fact, six years after Bangladesh and Myanmar signed the first bilateral pact, not a single Rohingya refugee has so far been repatriated to Myanmar. And yet, China still hasn't given up. Last year August, when Wang Yi visited Dhaka, the Bangladeshi Foreign Minister A.K. Abdul Momen thanked China for quote-unquote agreeing to mediate a new repatriation agreement. Look, there's nothing inherently problematic about the fact that the Chinese want to help the Rohingya return home. Except there's one big problem with these China-brokered repatriation plans. The refugees themselves are not involved in the discussions. And that's harmful for the refugees. Because if the Rohingya return to Myanmar today, they are likely to face the same threat of violence, torture and persecution that they have faced since the last 40 odd years. And this is even more so today because obviously, you know, this is an obvious fact. The same military that slaughtered them six years ago is in control of Napira today. But the thing is that Dhaka is getting more and more restless by the day about the million or so refugees currently living in the, in the camps in Cox's Bazar. The military junta wants to cleanse itself, you know, cleanse its own image by taking back at least some of the Rohingya. And the Chinese hope to deepen their footprint in both these countries and project itself as some kind of a regional peacemaker or in a way a constructive force 
for Asia and the world. So once again, who benefits from a China-brokered deal between Bangladesh and the Myanmar junta to repatriate the Rohingya refugees? Here's a guess, it's not the refugees. What's especially worrying is that the junta recently announced that the repatriation process will begin around mid-April. And recently, some of the officials visited southeastern Bangladesh using unmarked UN boats, which stirred up a separate controversy. Interestingly, this time, the junta officials actually met the refugees. But we don't know how many of them really want to participate in a return process that is supervised by the same military that chased them out and burned their villages and raped their women around six years ago. Is China involved in this latest repatriation plan? Of course it is. On 23rd March, the newly appointed Chinese ambassador to Bangladesh, Yao Wen, told the local media that the UN-supervised junta visit to the Rohingya camps in Cox's Bazar took place, quote-unquote, under Chinese mediation. He literally went on to add that, quote, as a friend of Bangladesh and Myanmar, China is deeply involved in this, unquote. I mean, it can't get clearer than that, right? Anyway, there's a big lesson in all of this, which is that be wary of peace brokers. Dig into why they want to mediate and who benefits from it. Because ultimately, peace isn't just about checking a box, right? It's about making people's lives better. And remember this, some of the most powerful people in the world are not those who fight with lethal weapons from the front, but those who stop the fighting from behind the scenes. Watch out for more such insights on BW Podcasts. If you want me to talk about a specific issue, then leave a comment on my blog or your podcast platform. I'm always happy to get listener slash readers feedback. And by the way, don't worry, it won't just be me rambling on about things in this podcast series. I'm also going to get other people on in as guests. And don't forget to subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you still haven't, please do subscribe to my Barbed Wires newsletter to directly receive my articles and podcasts in your email inbox. See you next time. Bye-bye.